You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 and 11 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning. I'm Stephanie Curtis sitting in for Carrie Miller. Coming up, the Trump administration's plan to stop illegal immigration. But first, let's check in with Ken Rudin, host of the Political Junkie podcast. Ken is here to discuss politics in Washington, D.C. Of course, if you have a question for Ken, give us a call. Numbers 651-227-6000 or 1-800-242-2828. Hello, Ken. How are you? Good morning, Stephanie. How are you? I'm all right. You're in Rochester, New York. Is that true? I am. The, the real Rochester, not the Rochester, Minnesota. Oh, come but the on. No, World-famous yeah, Rochester, Minnesota. When, let's not when start, I'm in Minnesota, the, let's not start okay. quibbling. When I'm, <laughs> when I'm in Minnesota, I will be uh, denigrating New York, so it works out fine. <laughs> all right. We're going to be talking about immigration later this hour, so I want to start with that. Last week, President Trump signed an executive order that directs the Department of Homeland Security to keep migrant families together at the border, and he tweeted that he wanted congressional Republicans to forget about the immigration bill for now. Well, since then, what has the White House said officially and unofficially? How's it going with immigration and Donald Trump? Well, that's a great question. And I think I don't think House Republicans know either, because once upon a time, and that means early last week, the the president said he was behind the House Republicans 100 percent. And whatever plan they come up with, whatever bill they finally arrive at, he will back them. And then on Friday, he tweeted that the Republicans are, should stop wasting their time and instead wait for the elections in November, and then, the, then they should be talking about immigration. In other words, let's forget about immigration until the after the election. Now, there are a lot of Republicans who agree with that because the last thing the Republican Party wants is to show the fissures and the divisions within the party to be on public display with just a couple of months to go before the election. But, you know, getting mixed signals from the president every other day, the the, the you know, the Congress, Paul Ryan and the other Republicans in the leadership don't really know what to do, except for the fact that a vote is likely to take place this week. Whether it passes or not is another question completely. OK, so there were two bills the House Republicans were looking at. One was called the conservative bill, and that kind of got voted that that died last week. And the other one it was died, called. Right. It, go on. I was going to say, yes, it died last week. That was the one by Robert, by Bob Goodlett who's the chair of the uh, House Judiciary Committee, and uh, it went down to defeat, but it did get 193 votes, mm. which is for a very conservative bill that, that most people, I mean, almost everybody knew was dead on arrival. The fact that it got that many votes means that conservatives still have a tremendous uh, amount of sway in the Republican. Of course they do, but for all the moderates talk about we need to, you know, to, uh, bring the dreamers on a path to citizenship. Uh, There are so many moderate Republicans who are in danger of losing in November. They want to have a moderate front on immigration. But that is complicated by the fact that many conservatives feel that any kind of move on dreamers and DACA and things like that is part of amnesty. And that's the last thing conservatives, um, conservative members of Congress have promised their constituents. They they will not back a bill that brings amnesty. And that's the split in the Republican Party. So what's in the compromise bill? 
that they're talking well, about. Well, the copper, I mean, there's still money for the wall. There's still okay. a lot of money for border security. And there's still, of course, uh, um, uh, a dream, uh, put the dreamers on the path for citizenship. That's all there. That's a compromise worked out by Speaker Paul Ryan and Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy and others in the leadership. But, of course, uh, Democrats are likely to, to overwhelmingly, if not unanimously, vote against it. They feel that, you know, any kind of bill for the— um, for the uh, for any any kind of bill for the dreamers or you know is unacceptable uh, to many conservatives. Plus the fact that there was a lot of controversy over de- the detaining of, of families that President Trump once blamed. Uh, I'm sorry, the the uh, the separation of families. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump once blamed it on a Democratic bill, and then at the same time, his Attorney General was saying this is a great bill because it's zero tolerance, and we support it. And Donald Trump said he supported. it. Supports it, and then he supports it so much that he signed an executive order getting rid of it. But the thing the new bill also does is that it's asking the courts to extend the amount of time migrant families can be put in detention. And right mm-hmm. now, for something called the florist uh, doctrine, they're only allowed to be held for 20 days. Uh, this new bill wants more than 20 days. Many Democrats and moderate Republicans are against that. And if they don't pass this bill, what's going to happen with the florist amendment in those 20 days? Well, that's that's up to the courts. I mean, okay. basically, nobody seems to know what to do. I think, uh, you know, again, when, when Donald Trump was talking about the bills that the Democrats passed, I assume he's referring to the Flores bill mm-hmm. and the fact that there's a limit on how long you can be held in detention. The point is, is that the Republican Party and the president took a big political hit in the last week or so on immigration. It was, it was never a winning issue to begin with for the Republicans. But again, the sight of Families being separated about crying children and all that, uh, whether it's whether it's genuine or not. The fact is, is that uh, the, the, the American people saw it and didn't like what it saw. And uh, the Republicans are trying to somehow recoup the, the political high ground. All right. On Tuesday, there are some primaries going on. Is there are there any ones that are big ones that we should look out for that will have a national impact? Or ones that national are just plain impact- interesting? Well, they're all. In, I mean, it's always interesting. I love, <laughs> I love the primaries on Tuesday. Uh, Mitt Romney, uh, you know, once left for dead after the 2012 presidential election, he is favored in the Utah Senate primary for the seat that Orrin Hatch is giving up. Uh, he's overwhelmingly favored. A uh, favorite. I don't think a Democrat has won uh, a seat, a Senate seat in Utah since 1066. So really, I mean, whoever wins the primary is going to be the winner. But uh, Mitt Romney's political comeback begins on Tuesday. Um, there's a Maryland primary. Democrats are trying to uh, come up with a nominee to oppose Larry Hogan, the Republican governor in a very blue state. And it's interesting how Larry Hogan, by distancing himself from Donald Trump and having certain moderate positions on a lot of views, uh, positions including uh, immigration, Larry Hogan looks like he's doing well. And New York, you know, I mean, there's a lot of uh, house races uh, up up here in Rochester, New York. Uh, The longtime Democratic incumbent Louise Slaughter passed away uh, several months ago, and uh, the Democrats are fighting for that seat. Uh, so a lot of it is just local congressional battles that uh, a lot of it has to do with personality and on the Republican side, who is more loyal to Donald Trump. Uh, President Trump is paying a lot of attention to the upper Midwest these days. We had him in Minnesota last week. Uh, this week he's going to be in Fargo and Wisconsin. Why all the attention to us up here? Well, by mentioning Fargo, which is North Dakota and Wisconsin, uh, those are two Senate races held by seats held by Democrats in North Dakota. You have Heidi Heitkamp running for re-election. You have Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin. Uh, I don't think Tammy Baldwin may be especially vulnerable, 
But the fact is that the president won Wisconsin in, uh, in 2016, which nobody expected to happen. So these are Senate seats that the Republicans would love to take, to take over. Heidi Heitkamp is in a state where uh, North Dakota that President Trump won overwhelmingly. Uh, she's in danger. And, and Trump, look, whatever the national polls say about Donald Trump, he is extremely popular within his Republican Party and any kind of rally which is really more about Trump than anybody else, but it, 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 it doubles down on his views about immigration and how the people coming into this country illegally, according to Donald Trump, are disrupting the economy and bringing crime to our shores at the same time trying to uh, 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 strengthen, uh, build up the Democratic challenges, I'm sorry, the Republican challenges to Senators Heitkamp and Baldwin. Who's running against Heitkamp again? Uh, it's a Congressman uh, Kramer, Keith Keith Kramer, I think. Sorry, the spot. I should know that answer. Uh, North Dakota only has one member of Congress on the House, and it's Keith Kramer. And the polls there, should, I mean, they're very. It's unreliable to see North Dakota polls. They don't have great polling reputation, but it's a very, very close race. And Heidi Heitkamp is doing everything she can to distance herself from the National Democratic Party, which has not been popular in North Dakota for a long time. You know, for the longest time in North Dakota, you had two Democratic senators, Byron Dorgan and uh, and somebody <laughs> whose name, uh, Ken, Ken Conrad, mm-hmm. uh, two Democrats forever, and they never were electing Republicans. And now it's such an overwhelmingly Republican state. If Heidi Heitkamp can survive, that, that might be an, considered an upset in November. So President Trump has a 90 percent approval rating amongst Republicans. And The New York Times ran a story this weekend saying that basically the more opposition to Trump, the people who oppose him speak out and and poke at him, the more that his supporters dig in. What did you make of that story? Well, that's an it's an interesting thing that's going on here. Remember the famous uh, um, um um, uh, 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 Michelle Obama's speech at the convention that when they go low, we go high. Mm-hmm. But there are some uh, many, not, I don't know about many, but there are a bunch of pro- Democratic progressives who are trying to respond the ugly uh, to respond to the ugliness of Trumpsters, you know, the Trump administration with ugliness of their own, like, you know, uh, having Sarah Sanders getting kicked out of a restaurant or booing uh you know, Kristen uh, Nielsen when she's uh, out uh, dining with her family. So there is a lot of tension. And it seems like if it, it, it seems like this kind of ugliness and anger and back and forth can only help the Donald Trump people. They say, like, the Democrats are the ones that they, they, are, in, they, they are the intolerant party. They're the ones who are not uh, ex, uh, uh, agreeing to Democratic ideals. And so whenever there's a, whenever the Democrats are upset about something about Donald Trump and they're trying to take it out either with an unfortunate comment, as we saw with Samantha Bee, or a tweet from Peter Fonda, things like that, uh, or some kind of action. Maxine Waters said that anytime you see a member of the Trump administration, you should boo them or, or make their lives miserable. It feeds into the Trump argument that um, the left is intolerant and uh, and um, the country is falling apart. But it is. But the sad thing is, is that it does feed into the Trump argument that this is what politics has become in this in this era of Donald Trump. And I think that more and more intolerance shown publicly by both sides is is not so good for democracy. That's for sure. What else is Congress trying to get done besides immigration right now? Well, I mean, once upon a time, we were talking about infrastructure bills, and that's mm-hmm. going nowhere. Uh, once upon a time, we were talking about guns, and that's not, not going anywhere. I basically, 
I mean, it's all we, we always say nothing will get done in, a, in an election year. It seems like there's always an election year because nothing gets done. But I mean, immigration seems to be the only the hot topic that's that's really out there. I mean, aside from funding the government, and that's still questionable when when certain deadlines are coming up. Immigration has just captured the imagination of the, of the American public. It's on the cover of newspapers and magazines all over the country. And again, I, I think for some Republicans, November 5th can't come soon enough. A uh, question here from Kim in Portland, Oregon. I'm just going to read. She's no longer on the phone. She wants to know who wears the smoky eye better, the NPR raccoon or Sarah Huckabee Sanders? <laughs> well, it sounds like a, it sounds like it sounds like I'm getting into Michelle Wolf territory here, so I won't. I'll never criticize. Don't comment. A, Don't comment. No, no, exactly. You can, but, but you NPR can disparage the NPR raccoon. Feel free. No, I no, I wouldn't. I actually, uh, he got his idea from if you re, uh, many people may remember or not, but Estes Kefauver when he ran for president in 1952 and 56, he had a a, a coonskin hat. You're that was his. Me. Uh, that was his mark, and so I kind of think that the NPR raccoon. Got uh, basically looked at Estes Kefauver as his uh, as his idol. I think it's a he, his idol or her idol. Her idol. NPR Raccoon ended up being being a female, indeed. Right, and I think she, and she also has her own show on NPR on the weekends. Is that correct? That's right. Right. We're going to yes. give her her own time slot. It's true. That's, Ken, uh, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good time in Rochester, New York, the number the two Rochester, Rochester <laughs> in the United States Thanks, after Stephanie. Minnesota. Bye bye. This was a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. To add your voice to our discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet Carrie at K-E-R-R-I-N-P-R. And if you miss us live, you'll find all of our shows by subscribing to this podcast. If you have questions, you can email us at talk at NPR.org. 